The scripture reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your holy and inerrant word. Lord, we believe that this word is powerful enough to change our minds and our hearts, to transform us, to become more and more in like the image of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. So we pray for that effect. We pray for that power. We pray that these words would not fall on deaf ears, but our ears would be open, our hearts would be open, our eyes would be open to see the truth that you speak and so that this truth would move us to become more and more in the image of our Lord and Savior, to become more loving, to become more compassionate, to become more and more holy. So we thank you, God, for this time as we continue to worship you. Would you be in our midst and use your powerful words to change us? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm going to be preaching on the Lord's Supper. We're going to be talking about what happens when we approach this table or when you partake in the Lord's Supper. And I just want to ask this question. What do you think actually happens or what do you think this supper is a symbol of when you partake in this act? And this question is a question that the church has been wrestling with for centuries. It has actually caused a lot of schisms and divisions. 
If you know that the Protestant church separated from the Catholic church, one of the main reasons was because of the doctrine of justification. But another big reason was because of the Lord's table. They disagreed on what was happening here at the Lord's table. Now, even after that, the Protestants, they couldn't agree on what was happening at the Lord's table. So that's why there was a division between the Lutherans and the Protestants, because they didn't know what was going on at the Lord's table. And I'm pretty sure if I took a quick survey of ACC and I asked, why do we celebrate the Lord's table every week? We would have answers all across the board from because of this reason, from I don't know, because you guys do it, from I don't know. I think that would be the majority of the answer, <laughs> to be honest. But it's okay. It doesn't depend, the effectiveness of the Lord's Supper does not depend upon our understanding. But it does help when we approach this table to have an understanding of what's going on. So it can better encourage us and to maybe give us a glimpse into the glory of God in Christ himself. So what is happening at the Lord's Supper? That's an important question that we should ask and try to figure out, and which I'm going to try and attempt to do today. So, okay, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, but what does that have to do with our text today? We'll see the Lord's Passover, or this Passover, that is found in our text, is important to understanding the supper we have today. Christians do not celebrate Passover because Jesus Christ himself instituted something greater. He instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, they are different, but they are very similar. One is building on the other. We don't completely ignore the Lord's Passover. We need it to understand who God is and what it means for us today. And that's why in this text, as we are talking about the Passover, it informs us of what is happening here today in the church. So we're going to go over that. So first, the Passover meal. What? And before we go over the Passover meal, we have to understand the context in which the Passover meal is introduced. When is this meal introduced? In Exodus 12 shows, it is finally introduced on the final plague, the 10th plague. And what is the 10th plague? It is the death of the firstborn child. And it's the death not just of the Egyptian firstborn child, it's the death of every firstborn child found in creation. If you've been with us, you would understand that Moses has been bringing it to Pharaoh, that he has been showing all kinds of plagues and powers to Pharaoh, and what the Lord has been revealing through Moses is this, that in order for the Israelites to be free from oppression and from sin, creation must be destroyed. Everything must be destroyed. If you want world peace here on earth, everyone must die. That's the truth. Because all of us are evil and are corrupted. And that is what God is showing the whole world. This is no longer about him and just Pharaoh. He's showing what is needed in order to restore humanity and creation. And what he shows us is this, that all of creation needs to be destroyed. Everything in life needs to be destroyed. This whole plague situation goes back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 shows how God created the world, how God made everything, and how the climax of his created order was human life, male and female, created in the image of God. 
And here what we see on the final plague is the destruction of all of that. The climax, the image of God, life itself is now destroyed. Everything is going to be put to death. But what dies is not only death, uh, what dies is not only life, but this has extra significance because this is also a destruction of hope. Remember, the firstborn in each household of Egypt is significant because Pharaoh has a firstborn. And that firstborn of Pharaoh will be the next king. And so if that next king dies, a lot of hope dies with the Egyptian people. So all this is going on, and it's probably not a good scene. Every child dying, every firstborn dying, families weeping, people crying, people yelling. This is a mass, mass Destruction, a whole town being obliterated. And what does God ask the people to do? And this is quite interesting because up to this point, every plague, God has just enacted the plague and the people just watched. They, they weren't commanded to do anything. But here on the final and tenth plague, when life is being destroyed, he sets the people apart to have a meal. And it seems kind of wrong and kind of strange. But what we have before us is not just a meal. What we have before us is a worship service. As God enacts this whole judgment on all the land, what he wants people to do, his people, is to worship him. And the, how do they worship him? Why is this a worship service? Because every element of this dinner is supposed to inform people about who God is and what God is doing in the world and all of creation. It's supposed to inform the people of the, the, the course that God is going to take and how he's going to redeem his people. He wants the people to remember this. He wants people to continually engage in this weekly and yearly and remind the people that he is the God who's going to bring judgment and that the people need to be worshipped and the people need to worship him. And so how is he to be worshipped during this time? What do we learn about God? What is it that God is going to do? The first commandment God has and tells the people is that they need to take a lamb without blemish, a year old, and set it aside. And why are they to do that? Because eventually they're going to kill it. And it's interesting to see this course of action. They're to pick a one without blemish. They're supposed to do it on the 10th day of the new year. And then they're supposed to wait four whole days before they actually slaughter the lamb. Four whole days. Now, there's a lot of debate of why they had to wait four days. No one knows for sure. But I think the best explanation is this. They are to reflect upon the lamb. They're to look at it, admire its beauty, its majestic nature. This is a lamb that's supposed to be looked at and admired and thought about. They're also supposed to think about the cost of this lamb. One good lamb that's unblemished, that's beautiful, costs a lot of money. It probably costs, could probably feed the family for a couple years or a couple months. We don't know the exact economics, but it was costly for them to do this once a year pick the best land that they have, watch it for four days, and then at twilight, slaughter it. Why must this lamb die? 
This lamb must die because God has said that all of creation must die. Every firstborn must die, including the Israelites. But instead of the child of the Israelites being taken away, they are to take this lamb and kill this lamb instead of the child. And thus the lamb replaces the child. And what God is revealing to all his people is that the only way you can be free from evil, to be free from oppression, to be free from sin, is through death. Death is the only way to escape. Death is the only way to be saved. And so the blood is supposed to be a sign and a symbol posted on the door to remind the people that it is only through blood that someone can escape oppression, that someone can escape evil. But they are not just to leave the lamb. They're supposed to roast the whole lamb and make sure that the lamb is fed to every single person in the Israel family. All of Israel. There's supposed to be no family that goes hungry. Everyone is supposed to come around this lamb and take part in it and make sure that nothing is left behind. No waste. The whole lamb needs to be consumed. What is God teaching also at this moment? That during this time of judgment, during this time of death, God will find a way to sustain his people. That even during this time, he will feed his people during this time of judgment and during this dark time. God reminds them that this thing that they eat is from the Lord and it is done in order to save them. But he also adds different elements. He adds bitter herbs. Now, what are the bitter herbs for? Are they there to make the lamb tastier? No. They're there to remind the people that what they are leaving or what they have left is something bad. That is something not good. And this is something that they have a tough time remembering. We see in the, in the Exodus narrative that the people begin to make this refrain, this callback, I wish we were back in Egypt. But as they come back to the Passover meal, they are reminded, do you remember this taste in your mouth? That is what you left. And so that is why they are to eat bitter herbs. And then they are to eat unleavened bread. Now what's the significance of that? Unleavened bread was just so that the people had time to make the bread. If you leavened the bread, I don't know if that's the correct term. It would take time. I think it takes about 24 to 48 hours to leaven the whole bread and then you cook it. God is saying you don't have time for that. It's going to be unleavened bread, bake it, and just eat. And I think the bread is really tied to how they were supposed to be dressed. Because God also gives instructions of how they are to dress in this manner. They are not supposed to come in their finest clothes. They are not supposed to come in uh, their best clothes that they had saved for that particular day. They come in clothes that are ready for travel. They're supposed to have their staff and their sandals ready. They're supposed to come dressed as what? As people who believe in God's promises. Because if God is true to his promises, they need to go right away. There will be no time to collect things. There will be no time to gather people. People need to be ready. So they come dressed in faith to this meal, ready for the Lord to act. And ready for the Lord to show and reveal himself. 
So this is a worship service that the Israelites will have from generation to generation, being ready for the Lord to act, being ready to leave their home, being ready for judgment to come, being ready for the Lord to sustain them and feed them. This is the Passover meal. This is why it's a worship service, because it reminds the Israelites yearly of who God is and what he is doing and what his plans are. And what are his plans? That he will deliver them from oppression and sin, that he will deliver them from death, and that the way he is going to do it is through another death, through blood, and that the people should be ready at any notice to go and see the promises of God. Now we come to the Lord's table. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he did it in the backdrop of the Passover meal. And here, Jesus Christ understood what everything was about. And he understood all the implications that the Israelites would have understood as they were practicing this yearly. And it's interesting to note that they would have to dress as if they were not home yet. Even when they were in the land of Canaan, they were not yet home. So they knew something was coming still. They knew that another kingdom was still coming. That's why they still ate this Passover meal. Jesus, as he comes to the Passover meal, institutes the Lord's Supper. And he says the lamb always pointed to him. The lamb was always meant to point to the coming of the slain lamb, the perfect lamb that was to come. All the New Testament authors picked up on this and realized that Jesus was the Passover lamb that had to be slain so that the people of God might be free from oppression, sin, and death. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says this, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Remember, when Jesus Christ comes and when he was slain on the cross, it was his blood that freed us from the grips of death, sin, and oppression. And that is what this meal still means today. That if you come to this meal, you believe that Jesus was that perfect lamb that was slain in order to release us from the grips of sin and death. That is what the new supper means. It means that Jesus has finally freed us. And what does it also mean? It means that we feed upon Jesus continually. Jesus, as he institutes the Lord's Supper, does not say that the lamb is now gone. He says the lamb has been replaced and now you feast upon me. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood which has been given to you. So what is happening when this happens? We are partaking in Jesus' body and blood. Now literally, no, not physically, but spiritually, yes. 
Spiritually, we are feasting upon the lamb, and this lamb gives us sustenance, gives us power to continue to go on, to experience who Jesus is, and to continue to experience that great love and mercy that can only be given by God. Here we see that God is, has provided this lamb in and as we eat the bread and the wine, we become closer, united to Christ himself. That is what is happening when we have the Lord's Supper every week. We are in a special way unifying, or Christ is unifying us closer and closer to him spiritually. And that is why ACC has this meal every week. It's a particular thing that ACC does. We do it because we understand that its significance means that this is something that nourishes our souls and helps us go throughout the week. It helps us understand who Christ is. It helps us commune with him in a deeper way. This is something special. I know it doesn't seem like much, but Christ himself instituted this meal, and this meal gives us the power to do what is necessary. It gives us the power to see Christ. It gives us the power to see God. It gives us the power to obey God. It gives us the power to love one another. This is a special meal. This is where Christ is continually represented. It is where we continually see that the blood of Christ has set us free and that we continue to live. This is the reason why we have it every week. Now, if churches don't have it every week, are we looking down upon them or anything? No, no, you can have it once a year, you can have it monthly, that's fine. David and I feel more comfortable that we have it weekly because sometimes we don't give good sermons. <laughs> sometimes we're bad. Sometimes you're not fed by the word that I've been preaching to you. But here's our safety net. Here we come down and we just give you the words of Christ and we know that Christ is here present and he's edifying you in a special way. So if you see it weekly, you just say that pastor's probably not good. <laughs> but we are not just to come to this table in any manner. For there is another deeper connection that I think sometimes we miss as a church. As this Passover meal was instituted, Christ also expected each of his members to be dressed a certain way. Remember, the old Passover meal, they had to be ready to flee from evil, to go somewhere, to be ready to go at any moment that when they were released that they had to go. But here at the Lord's Supper, there is a different type of dress that the Lord expects from us. And does the Lord expect something from it? Yes. I mean, it, we go back to it at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Paul says that we do not come to this meal just nonchalantly or dressed in any way. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now most people think that we examine our own bodies but here is what I think Paul is getting to, and it comes out in Colossians and Ephesians. What Paul is mainly talking about is the corporate body. We come to this meal together clothed as one. It is not individual dress we come in. 
We come in dressed in Christ's righteousness. We come dressed as the people of God. This is why we don't have Lord's Supper by ourselves at our home. That's why Christian bookstores don't sell personal Lord's Supper meal sets. They don't, because they understand that this is a corporate thing, that this is something that Christ does for the corporate body. And we need to come dressed in a certain way. And we need to examine the body. And this is why we often say, are you part of anybody? Are you part of any church? Are you a member of any church? Because if that is true, then you come to the supper. So this is not just ACC. This is the whole universal church. Are you a member of any church? And if you are clothed in this way, then come. But how is the church to be clothed? When we look clothed in Christ's righteousness, what does that look like? Are we still fleeing? Does it still look like a staff or a sandal ready to run? As Paul continues talking about the body and the unifying um, purpose of the body and the need to be dressed properly, we go to Ephesians 6 where Paul begins to talk about what we look like now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul begins to talk about what the church should, be, should look like and what their dress should look like. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This backdrop is the same backdrop that Passover is being experienced. Here is the same backdrop, that there are powerful forces at hand, and here is what the Israelites need to do. Now remember, the Israelites are dressed ready to flee. But here in the same context, now because Christ has instituted a new supper, Christ has instituted a new era, here is what happens now. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We don't dress to flee anymore, but we dress to engage with the world. The evil that is presented to us is no longer fearful. There is no sense fleeing anymore. As Christ has come and, and instituted the supper, he has dressed the church in armor to engage with love, to engage with peace and righteousness. We are not scared of people anymore. We do not flee from death. We do not flee from evil. Rather, now we run into it. We run to death. We run to the evil. We run to these things because Christ is our righteousness. We are equipped with Christ himself. He is our authority now. When we come to this table, we are dressed and equipped to do the bidding of our God. 
We come with love and we come with peace and graciousness. And this is what we expect the world to see. And we come to worship together. And this is the final piece that I want us to realize. That as we are dressed in this way and as we come every Sunday and as we partake in the Lord's Supper, God is doing something. The Passover meal, what was happening? He want, God wanted the people just to eat and worship God while God carried out judgment in the world. He was acting. He was just not idly standing by as the people were engaged in this worship service. He was enforcing judgment. He was enforcing his will upon the world. It's the same today. The most powerful things Christians can do is come together in worship. It's to come together one dressed in Christ's grace in Christ's righteousness and begin to worship God so that God can act what we do every Sunday is come into these pews and say God there is injustice out in the world everything is not okay everything's not okay with me everything is not okay with the world I need to be here, God. You need to show and reveal yourself. And as Christians come and make the statement every Sunday, God begins to act. While you are here worshiping, I know it doesn't seem like much, while you're taking bread and the wine, our Lord is continually acting out in the world, answering the prayers of our hearts, answering and doing these things. Now, do we, does that mean we don't do anything? No. But this is the most powerful thing that you can do. Should you be engaged in political activism? Absolutely. But are you doing this as well? This is the most powerful thing you can do because you are calling on someone who can do something and change something for real. This is what happens every Sunday. This is a magical time when we come together. Because we acknowledge that we are weak, we acknowledge that there is hurt in the world, and we acknowledge that God is the great I am, and he's carrying out his will across the nation. This is a great time. And that's why the Passover meal, Christians don't celebrate it, is a somber and sad time, because for them, they, have not yet, they are not yet home, they are still fleeing. But here at the Christian Lord's Supper, we are saying it is done it is over. Let us run to the world and share the news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we worship him, acknowledging the great I am who's working throughout the world, making the world come closer to that new creation for the new heavens and the new earth. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, understanding that we are weak and that we need you. Lord, help us to understand you. Help us to experience your grace. Help us to experience your wonder. And help us to, Lord, celebrate this feast that we're about to have. You are good and you are God. And may all glory and honor be given to you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.